Glad that you're joining us again today. If you have not gotten one of these scripture journals, we still have some available. These have gone over so well, we've actually ordered uh, more, but there are some available on the table outside. If you are watching online and you'd like one, just reach out to us and we'll figure out a way to get that to you. But I, I was thinking a lot about why would we do something like this scripture journal. And, and here's what I want, want you to understand. Reading your Bible, being in God's Word, in no way makes God love you more. Okay? He already loves you. The value and the blessing in being in God's Word, very intentional the way that we are, is because when you spend time in God's Word, it will help you to fall in love with God. And that's why I want, as we go through this series, we're going to take the question of what's forming us? What's shaping you? Because something is. Something is shaping you, and that's the struggle that Paul, that wrote this letter that we have in what we refer to as the book of Colossians. It's more appropriately, if you think of it, as the letter to the Colossians. But that's the question that he's wrestling with is, what's forming you? And he is wanting something very specific. He wants you, he wants me, he wants the readers of this first letter to be rooted, firm, secure in Jesus. In fact, that's what he says in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And if you haven't highlighted that verse yet, or you haven't circled that verse yet, I want you to go into your journals and I want you to do that right now. Highlight and circle that verse to where, because that is the thesis, the theme of all that he's saying. That's why we call this series Rooted. It's because what he says, I want you to be rooted in this stuff so that you're not swayed, so that you're not blown to and fro, so you're not under the influence of something else that's trying to capture your attention. And don't we have some things in our world they're trying to capture our attention. So today, we're going to launch in uh, to the part of the, the very beginning of this letter where he is talking about what he wants to form us. And each time we open up this letter, we're going to discover something or some other way he wants us rooted in. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about what's it mean to be rooted in the gospel, rooted in the gospel. Now, if you've been at church at all, or you're familiar with church songs, you've heard the word, the gospel. And many of you may be aware that it means good news. The gospel means good news. That, that's the translation. If you find it in scripture, it's a Greek word called ungelion, but don't worry about that. Just know that it means Good news. Now, let's take that apart just for a second because what's good about it and why is it news? Well, let me take the second, the, the second half first. News. News is any time that you receive something that changes things, right? That's why every now and then their alert will come across your phone and it says breaking news. Something is happening, and there's going to be an effect from it. I, I remember very clearly, 21 years ago, 
On that morning when Erica was already off at school teaching her classes and I'm getting dressed, about to come into at that time, which was still a very brand new job to me here, being the youth minister at this church. And we had just moved into our house. And so I, am, I have the Today Show on the TV. And I can still see in my mind's eye, I can still see the boxes that we hadn't unpacked yet. And this was still well within the grace period of when you should have had your boxes unpacked. As I'm getting dressed, it cuts from the national show to the local news. You know, right before a commercial, they, they cut to the local news. And the local news reported that a plane had struck the World Trade Center. I thought, well, that's interesting because the way it just timed out, the Today Show hadn't carried it yet, but they give this 30-second synopsis that a plane... They didn't know the size, they didn't know who, they didn't know what. In fact, they thought it was probably a small Cessna. And then when it cuts back to the Today Show, then they have the story. And now all eyes are focused on that, and that's only after the first plane had struck. And then you can hear, as they're still trying to process what they're seeing, and the smoke is pouring out of the tower... With cameras and the eyes of the nation looking that direction, the second plane hits. And as that second plane hit, you could hear everybody, at least those that were on the screen at the time, they take this gasp of breath, and now it was clear that whatever is happening, things are changing after this. It's not hard to see how the world's changed since 9-11. But there was, there was an event, there was a moment in history, something was going on, and the dynamics were going to be different. That's what is part of embedded in the message with the, the gospel word. See, when we say good news, we think simply of kind of like a headline or, hey, how was your day? Oh, it was good. That's good to hear. That's some good news. But that word, engelion had more meaning in the first century because it was an actual proclamation that something very specific was about to change. And that was that there's a new emperor, there's a new conqueror, there's a new king. We've received this kind of message this past week with the passing of Queen Elizabeth. There is a new identity that has assumed the throne. In the case of England, it's King Charles III, as he's now known. Something of significance had happened. And the way that the emperor or the conqueror or the king, when they arrived, what they do is they would send out messengers with the good news. Because if you're the conquering king, you want it to be seen as good news that you're arriving on the scene. Everything's going to be different. But you can trust the new king. And so this had a very technical meaning. And the news would go out and there would be messengers going out to each town and each province and each area and proclaim the arrival of the new emperor, the new one in charge. And so when Paul uses this word, he's saying something very specific. Something has changed. There's a new king that's arrived and he's a good king. This is 
good news. And this is why throughout this letter, Paul wants you rooted in the gospel. Because this particular good news, this particular message, this particular proclamation is unlike any of the others. Something has changed and you can trust that it's good. That's why he wants you rooted there. And he's going to use this word again and again throughout the, throughout the, the thing. He's going to associate it with a word that means all or complete or whole. In fact, he's going to use this all word or this whole word um, 30 times in this short letter. Because he's going to talk about how encompassing this thing is. How, how to- total this is. How enough this is. Now, you can remember, that if you remember last week, one of the things that Epaphras, and we're going to read about Epaphras in just a second, he's the one that started the church. Paul did not start this church. We don't even know if Paul ever went to this church. But Epaphras had been in Ephesus. He heard Paul preach. He took this message back, this good news back, and he shared it with his friends and his family and his neighbors, and a church formed up. But what they're experiencing in the Colossian church is that there's these other philosophies that are now competing. And we identified them last week as mysticism. You need to feel something. You need to experience something else. Or intellectualism. You need to know some more stuff. You you need to have some more inside knowledge. Or even legalism. You need to do more. You need to work harder. And each one of them at their core is what they're saying is that you've got to take Jesus. He's fine. We're for Jesus. But you've got to add something else to Jesus to get enough. And Paul will have nothing to do with it. And so he will use this word all or whole or complete 30 times because he wants you to know that Jesus is enough. You hear me say often, we believe that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for what's broken in you and what's broken in me. So as we thought about this idea of being rooted, and I thought about that. Have you ever been to the Whole Foods store? Whole Foods, it's pricey, it's hip, I know. But at the core of their message is the fact that we're, we're going to sell fruits and vegetables and product that are simply what they are. They're whole. They're healthy for you. We're going to avoid lots of things that have been added on to them. We're, we're going to avoid the, the pesticides and we're going to avoid the chemicals and the process that have been added on to them. Because the thought would be, you don't need that. Paul is saying that the gospel is a whole foods gospel, and that's why he wants you rooted in it. So, we're going to read, I'm going to read several verses that start in chapter 1. I want you to pay attention, and then we're going to come back and walk through this idea of the gospel is whole, it's all you need. But I want you to be listening with an ear every time what Paul says about how encompassing how all-involving, how whole and complete he describes the gospel. And we're going to be rooted 
there. Start in verse 3. This is the words of Paul to the church. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you. And indeed, the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is the faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Did you hear all that? The whole gospel. Paul wants you rooted in the whole gospel. And what Paul is saying is when you come in contact with the whole gospel, you do not need to add anything else to it. And that's what all these other philosophies were trying to do. There's a whole movement, even in our world today, that says Jesus is okay. We don't mind if you pay attention to Jesus, but you've got to add something to him because Jesus is not enough. Any gospel that says Jesus is not enough is no gospel at all. And so Paul's going to give us three reasons for the wholeness of the gospel. While it is the whole place that we can be rooted so the first one's this, and if you want to write these down, each one of these will be what the gospel is. We're just going to talk straight up about what the gospel is today. And the first one is this. The gospel is holy and solely about grace. The gospel is holy and solely, completely, all-inclusive of grace. That is the sum of the gospel. The gospel is not a program that you get on and you start to make your way to God. The gospel is not you digging in, giving a lot of effort, and somehow through that process you gain God's attention, you gain God's favor. The gospel is not you seeking a way to find favor with God. The gospel is you allowing the favor that God wants to shine on you and put into your life already. You're receiving that. This is the gospel. It is all about grace. Now, we get real funny when we start talking about grace. It's hard for us to get our minds around because every person that we interact with all of our relationships have some level of give and take. Meet you halfway. Some level of negotiation until it comes to our relationship with the Father that loves you so much 
that he's going to deliver you. I want you to look at this. This is really, really powerful to me, and I hope it's powerful to you. Um, I'm going to start reading in, uh, uh, let's pick it up in verse 12. And what Paul is describing, uh, uh, here's your response to what God is doing. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who, now I want you to circle some words as we go, who has qualified you, circle qualified, you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered, circle delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred, circle transferred to us, the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Who gets all the best verbs? God does. In that short little section, he has qualified you, delivered you, and transferred you. Qualified you. It means you could not and did not qualify yourself. I heard it recently put this way. Nobody struts into heaven on their own. Now, we try, don't we? We've perceived grace to be like this. That if it's a hundred mile race, I know I can't run it all myself. But I can run 99 miles. And Jesus will make up that gap at the end. He, he'll make up that, that, that just that little bit. What Paul is trying to tell the Colossian church is trying to tell us is that You're not running nine nine miles. You ran nine steps. And then you needed Jesus to carry you. There's no bragging rights there. There's no, well, I met you halfway, God. I I often thought of it this way, as as if there was a tightrope. And my life was walking on a tightrope. And I went from my birth to death. And the idea was that if you could make it all the way without falling off the tightrope, you know, yay for me. And that grace was that safety net under there. And it was really good for those that needed it. And I could have this illusion and delusion in my head that somehow I'm still on the rope. And God was like, you've been tied up the net your whole life. You just don't realize it. You think you're on the rope. There's no bragging rights. There, you, you don't get to brag that I made it three feet farther on the rope than somebody else. I had a weird, this is probably going to be a weird illustration, but several years ago, about five or so years ago, Jared Benedict and I had a chance uh, to travel to see Leland Sawyer, our missionary in uh, in Bali, Uganda. And so this is clearly the farthest I've ever traveled in my life. And so we would use language like, we flew. Now, when I say the verb, we flew, that does not mean that I put forth any effort in the flight, right? Me flying was sitting for 14 hours and trying to sleep. That's the effort that I put in it. How silly would it have been if we landed and met Leland. And he said, hey glad, guys, glad you're here. It's, it's so good good to have you. And I said, hey, Leland, I, I don't mean to brag, 
But I just want you to know that I know Jared and I both arrived at the same time, and we both flew on the same plane, but you just need to know, understand, that my house sits 15 feet back from the curb, so I had to walk 15 feet farther to get in the car. Just letting you know, just, just so there's no... You're looking and go, what kind of delusional world are you living in that matters? That's as silly as it is when we try to hold our resume up to God and go, aren't you pleased with what I've done? When he says, he's the one that qualified you. He's the one that delivered you. And he's the one that transferred you. You have been transferred into the kingdom of God. You were dead in your sins, and now you're alive. That is a transference that you did not do yourself. It's often said about the Christian faith, they said, well, you guys think you have a superior claim. Why do you think your claim's so good? And we just want to go, no, our claim is not that we're that any better. At the heart of our claim is the fact that I am confessing to the fact that I could not save myself. I needed a Savior. That's the heart of our claim. That's grace. That's good news that God has shown up to do that. Second thing he does is the gospel transforms your whole life. Now we're getting into the formation bit of it. This is the part where Paul wants you to understand the gospel is not simply a one-time event in your life where you make a claim, you participate in a baptism, and then you go about business as usual. The gospel should have a renewing, transforming, <clears throat> radically changing effect in your life, in your whole life. The gospel does not simply adjust what you do on a Sunday. But it changes everything. And Paul is saying, I want you to go deep into the gospel. I want you to be rooted in the gospel because it will change your attitude. It will change your thought process. It will change how you engage in relationships. It will change how you date how your marriage is it will change how you parent your children it will change how you treat your co-workers at work it will transform everything if you want to look I want you to look <clears throat> verse 9 and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you okay so again Paul didn't plant the church but he's learned about all these new Christians. And so he has done what a pastor would do. He's been praying for them. Look at his prayer. This is the prayer that we should be praying for anybody as they confess Jesus. This is the prayer. If you want to engage in spiritual warfare, every time you see a baptism, what I want you to do is I want you to pray this prayer for the people, the person, whoever it is that's saying, Jesus gets my life. So... I have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He says, I want this to change your life. The gospel changes your life. 
And when you get the gospel, fruit begins to be produced. That's why we said last week, to quote my grandmother, as she tended her garden in the country of West Texas, she'd say, the best roots produce the best fruit. When the gospel takes over your life, it transforms your whole life, and it becomes evident. People begin to see it. Again, there is not a part of your life that is screened off from the gospel. We may try, but you're not going deep into the gospel then. You don't get to look at God and say, God, thank you for paying the price. Thank you for delivering me and transferring me and qualifying me. But I'm going to hang on to one-fifth over here, and I'm going to protect it. I'm going to hang on to my entertainment choices. I'm going to hang on to my priority selection. I'm going to hang on to my secret lust life. I'm going to hang on to this thing where I lie to those around me because it's efficient in my job. See, it becomes totally transforming. And it bears a fruit that the world can see. Now, they may not understand, but they can see it. And this is what Paul is telling this small congregation in the middle of the Roman Empire when all these other philosophies are coming at them says, yes, but you will stand out because you're producing a different kind of fruit with your life. And that's exactly what he's asking of us today and this church. Last one's this. The gospel is for the whole world. This is an all, everybody is included gospel. This is the reason that we have, as part of our five-year vision, that we are praying for God to be a diverse church. Because there is not a skin color. There is not a wage level. There is not an educational achievement level. There, There is not any person that falls outside the reach or is not a candidate for this grace that we're talking about. It is an all are invited gospel message. There is coming a day where there will be a grand banquet. And it is described all throughout Scripture as the wedding feast of the bridegroom. When Jesus comes to claim his bride, which is the language that is used in your New Testament to describe the church, the followers of Jesus, the people that have come together in his, his name, that is used. that imagery is always used that there is coming a banquet where we get to come together. And all is revealed and the fullness of the gospel comes to fruition. And the, the reality is that we want to be there, but the truth is you don't get to pick the seating chart. And it will be all colors. 
and all people. This is, this is why we're excited about our global missions around the world. Because we're a part of that. We're participating in that. But it's also why we're excited about the two miles around us. Because we got to live it locally before we pretend to live it globally. And it's why it matters around the two miles around you. And the 20 feet around you at work. And the people that you come in contact with as you run your errands. As you eat in restaurants. As you interact with people on your sports team. As you participate in band and choir. As you go to your college classes. It's a gospel for the whole entire world. And because it's doing that, you need to know that what Jesus is doing around the world is powerful. The gospel, just like what Paul said to the Colossian church, is I see it's bearing fruit. It continues to bear fruit today. And you may not be aware of, aware of it, but the center of Christianity has shifted away from America. Do you know where it's landed? in Africa it's growing in China we are not far in fact it's already happening where those countries are sending missionaries our direction why because they believe people need the gospel and God will get the job done it's the gospel for the whole world and it transforms everything so I'll go back to the question, what are you being formed with? And are you willing to go deep into the gospel? The gospel of grace. The gospel that transforms your whole life, that produces fruit around the world. Irregardless of boundaries and stations of life, it's producing fruit. Close on this. Let me show you a picture. Man in the center is Hiru Onada, and I'm probably butchering the name. This picture is taken in March of 1974, as he was the second to last Japanese soldier to surrender following World War II. 29 years after the treaty was signed. He had fought, he was in the Philippines. He and a small group of, of his fellow soldiers had gone into the hills after the, the American and Philippine forces had to taken over the island. And they hid out there continuing a guerrilla warfare. Planes would fly over and drop down leaflets saying the war is over. The war is over, come out. You're in no danger. They thought every time they saw one, it was just propaganda. It was just lies being told by the enemy. They didn't see it as good news. And finally, he became sort of a local legend, and a reporter went to see if they could, he could locate him. And actually had a conversation with him, and he was still mistrusting of the reporter. And even though they had shown them pictures of their families, all the stuff, they still thought it was lies. And they showed him a picture of his family. Lies, lies. 
They, the reporter asked him, what would it take? He said, when I'm given the command by my commanding officer to stand down, then I'll stand down. So they go and locate his commanding officer, who was long out of the military and was selling books. And he comes, and they bring him to the Philippines, and he approaches Hiru Onada and gives him the order and relieves him of duty. At that moment, he surrenders his ceremonial sword and surrenders his weapon. For 29 years, he fought an enemy that was not a threat to him. He fought an enemy that wanted to bring peace to him. Are you fighting an enemy that you think is at odds with you? Or are you ready to accept the fact that the gospel is here and it is good news and the king comes in peace and he comes in blessing and he comes with grace? Because I'm going to encourage you, if you are, it's time to lay down your weapon and receive the gospel. Or if you've already done that, then it's time to be rooted in that so firm that we cannot help but to voice it to others and let the fruit produce in our life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, may we take this word, this gospel, that perhaps maybe is just so familiar to some of us that it loses its edge, it loses its uniqueness and may you instill in us an awe and a wonder at how expansive your grace is how transforming the gospel is and how global it is around us father would you root each of us deep into this gospel with an understanding that it's a whole gospel and nothing is added or can be added to it. That it is not to be improved in any which way because it is complete. Because the life of Jesus was laid down. And in that moment, you qualified us to be in relationship with you. For that, we are grateful. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.